time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. It's Monday, January 25th, 2021. Hope your year is off to a great start. What I'm hearing from everybody just hung up with another client call. Volumes are remaining strong. In fact, some of the strongest locks on record that we're experiencing. So very excited about our new year and especially all that's going on. And so welcome to the podcast. This podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. And we're grateful to have you as our listener. Again, our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. Audio is king. Everyone wants to be able to listen so they can do it on a passive basis, get a lot of information in. Today's hot topic I'm really excited about. Someone from where I grew up, Minnesota, is joining us, Doug Duncan. He has had so much success in the industry. He's Fannie Mae Senior Vice President, Chief Economist, as well as doing a lot of research at the NBA. And joining me in this interview is a dear friend of mine and also a great friend of Doug's, and it's Jay Brinkman, retired Chief Economist from the NBA. So we're just going to have a great lineup. We're going to be talking about Fannie Mae's recently released economic forecast for housing as far as interest rates. Looking forward to that interview. So be sure to stay tuned all the way through to the hot topic segment. It's going to be really good. Informative as as well as I think with Jay in the mix and those two going at it there, it'll be as entertaining as it is anything else. By the way, I put in the show notes today, go listen to Doug Duncan's interview on the Data Driven Real Estate Podcast. It's put on by Bruce Norris's son, Aaron. Did a great job of interviewing Doug Duncan. If you really want to get insights of what all goes into these projections and these forecasts, go listen to that podcast. I think Doug just did a fabulous job but really give you insight of how it's all about the data. It's not about an agenda. So we'll get into that a little bit later. I want to say we're thrilled to be a part of the Industry Syndicate. Check out industrysyndicate.com as well as mortgagemedia.com. Please be a part of both of these media groups. Again, we're the old one. They all say you're the granddaddy, Dave. You started this before anyone else ever did it. Also, I just did a Leadership Mastermind podcast. It's Mitch Peak and Laura Brando interviewed me on the topic of leadership, and it's the three pillars in leadership and it starts with your why. Go check that podcast out. We have a link to that in our show notes as well. Special thank you to our sponsors, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. We say this all the time. By the way, we did have Mike Fratt and Tony on giving the MBA's projections in the first week of January. Be sure to go and listen to that podcast. Also sign up for Mortgage Action Alliance, a great way to have your voice heard on the Hill. MBA does a great job of supporting us and our industry. Support them by joining up and getting your download of your own Mortgage Action Alliance app so you can do it all from your phone. It's just amazing. Also, a special thank you to Finastra, third largest fintech company in the world. They have their Fusion Mortgage Bot solution and experience the power of a fully integrated approach to mortgage lending that simplifies the borrowing experience and streamlines the process for the employees. I had Dan Putney on on January 11th. Go listen to that. We've covered the survey that they recently did. It was a wonderful interview. A lot of information there. Also, Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative. We are part of both of these co-ops and 
it's a great way for you to meet with other lenders your size and it's the peer sharing of data what each other experiencing is so important I was just talking to Bobby Nicely of Alcova Mortgage one of my clients this morning and he says he's a part of the Mortgage Collaborative and he says he's on with all the other CEOs and so much information is shared what they're dealing with so I encourage you to check out both of these co-ops also Community Mortgage Lenders Association of America as well as Indicom I was giving their name out today great outsourcing company partners with lenders and servicers in mortgage insurers and title insurance companies to provide one specific goal help you grow your business go back and listen to the interview I did with Linda Bomar in August 31st also Incelerate helps lenders close more loans by engaging the borrowers more effectively so go back and listen to the interview we did in August with Josh Friend as well as Knowledge Coop and Mobility RE when you're recruiting loan officers you got to have real data empirical data check out both these companies they're actually a complement to each other they're competitors in one sense they're complement to each other check them out we're recommending them all the time as well as Velma VendorSurf Vidyard thank you to all of our sponsors check them all out on our website also finally a special thank you to Alice Alan and Matt for the contributions to this podcast each and every week. I should also say Les Parker as well as Rob Van Rapport. For those of you who are listening live, just stay right here. We're going to flow right into the hot topic segment. For those of you who are listening on a downloaded basis, just move on to the next podcast because it's going to be a good interview with Doug Duncan. And joining me on the microphone interviewing Doug will be Jay Brinkman. Two really great guys with a lot of knowledge. You're going to learn a lot. Let's go right into the hot topic. Welcome, everybody, to the Licking on Lending Hot Topic segment. Very excited about our guest today, Douglas G. Duncan, Dr. John Duncan. Doug is the Senior Vice President, Chief Economist with Fannie Mae, has been there since April 2008, 12 years, 10 months, and there in the Washington, D.C. area. He lives in other parts. You know, he grew up in the same area I did of Minnesota, and you live in Minnesota long enough, you're going to go south somewhere, so he lives down in Florida. Also, he, uh, he was Senior Vice President, Chief Economist for the MBA. He got his undergraduate degree from North Dakota State University, Yashur Yabetcha, and then went on to Texas A&M, down to Jay Brinkman's country, got his uh, PhD there in agriculture economics. So, Doug, how in the world do you go from agriculture economics into complex world of mortgage economics? Good to have you with us, Doug. Thanks. It's great to be with you. And if your employment option was sitting under the business end of a Holstein, you look for other options. So, true. Joining me on this interview is Jay Brinkman someone that we've had on here numerous times. Jay is retired chief economist from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Jay, thanks so much. I pulled this on Jay last night. I was listening to Doug Duncan's interview on the data-driven real estate podcast and then looking over his forecast he's about ready to get into. And I'm going, man, there's so much good information here. Who could I invite to come on here? And I called Jay last night. He graciously took my call and he goes, I would love to. Jay, good to have you on the podcast. Well, looking forward to it. Thanks for inviting me. It's an honor. And Doug, first, we're going to get into the Fannie Mae economic forecast and housing forecast in just a minute. But one of the things that cracked me up, when you and I are together, I always find myself laughing. Now, we have two economists there. You'll recall one other time, Doug, you joined Mark Fleming and I at a table. It's the Mirror Catalyst event. You came with your tray of food. We had all gotten our food. And, and Mark and I were sitting there talking and you joined the table. And I said, oh, great. We're just going to learn that much more. I feel so blessed to sit with two economists. And you're Word's word. You remember what he says? It'll guarantee you at least three opinions. Having two economists at the table will guarantee you at least three opinions. I love that. I'm forever eternally grateful to you because there was a period of time where I was on Fox Business and they said, Dave, we need you in the studio. Can you come in? So I was driving down to the studio. We'll tell you what the topic is when you're driving down there. 
And they said, Dave, you're going to be debating Leonard Bernstein. They're talking about the forgiveness of mortgage debt or some percentage of it. I'm going, I'm debating on national television or commenting about this. And I'm supposed to be taking a contrarian view. And I was in a panic, folks, driving down there. And I just had these beads of sweat going up. How do I take that on? So I dialed Doug Duncan's phone and he said, Dave, Lenny's a great economist, a good guy. He's probably be under a little pressure to put out this binion. You remember what you shared with me, Doug, on that call? It was so good. I have to admit I don't. It saved my life because I came on looking so smart. I had the silver bullet in my hand. And you said, how does that work with the basic tenant of a free market economy? And you nailed it. They were talking and they let him go first and they brought me on. Dave, what do you think about that? And I said, how do you reconcile that with, and I just shared what Doug said. It was one of those moments. I Again, when you're sitting remote, you don't see the reactions of anyone around you. But I guess it was a great response that he gave a great response. So I'm indebted to you, Doug, and I'm so grateful to have you here with us. Real interested in both the housing and the economic forecast. Let's start off with one of the favorite topics, and that's the GDP and where things are at. I'm really interested in what are the main drivers of change. Could you get into that, please? Sure. Our theme for this year is the economy speeds up and housing downshifts, which doesn't mean housing's falling off. It's just not growing quite as fast as it did in 2020, which was a record-setting year, particularly in the mortgage space by any standards. Really, the driver today is not an economic variable. It's a health variable. It's all about the virus. And in 2020, it was learning about the virus itself. In 2021, it's going to be about whether or not the vaccines that have been developed can be distributed broadly, be demonstrated to be effective, and to be resilient. Because we saw in the December data on employment that people are still very concerned and policymakers are very concerned about the kinds of consumption that are discretionary spending. So what do I mean by that? Restaurants, sporting events, concerts, airplanes, hotels. In December, we lost 500,000 jobs in that space because of the resurgence of the virus in December alone. So until that is solved, we won't get that part of the service sector back with strength. In the housing space, there's a little bit of data that you might be interested in that we put up on our website. We do a consumer survey, a thousand households a month. At the April board meeting, the Fannie Mae board asked, how far did I think house prices were going to fall? And I said, well, actually, I think they're going to rise. And they wanted an explanation of that. I said, well, when as we survey consumers here early in the stages of the virus, a dramatic impact on the economy. What we see is people who own a house and they could sell it and who are on average older mm-hmm. than first-time buyers are more pessimistic than people who would be a buyer looking at where interest rates are. And while we think total sales will fall, we think supply will fall further than demand and therefore price will rise. And that's exactly what happened. So this is the next iteration of how people are thinking about the virus. We make the assumption that by mid-year, the vaccines will be widely distributed and be seen to be effective. So activity will pick up. And in the second half, we think growth could be at an annualized rate of over 6%. That's part of the reason your earlier speaker was talking about why treasury yields have risen some, is the expectation of growth in the second half of the year. And your data-driven real estate podcast, you made an interesting comment that a lot of the layoffs have been impacting the renter community, not necessarily the home ownership group. I thought that was a really interesting point and that we're still 
it's going to have a lot of upward pressure on home price appreciation. So I thought that was interesting. The workers that are in those categories of consumption, which are discretionary spending for middle and upper income households, are primarily hourly wage workers. And if you break out the leisure and hospitality category and look at the homeownership rate in that group, it's only 43%. Part of Mm. it is because a lot of those workers are younger and maybe not married, but it's not the homeowner population. That's the renter population. It's part of the reason why you're hearing the discussion about eviction moratoria and things like that. Jay, jump in here. So good to have you here with us, Jay. Well, I think one of the questions when I looked at uh, Doug's forecast and looked at the MBA forecast was for refis for this yeah. year. Obviously, people will be coming in and, and taking some cash out, but largely rate dependency. And I have to say, I used to tell people that I would forecast refis just to show that I did, in fact, have a sense of humor because it was so hard <laughs> to actually come up with a number. And clearly, it's going to be rate-driven. And I think a fundamental question is, to what extent will the Fed continue to support through increases in its portfolio, do you think the Fed's really going to step in and keep rates low, or are they going to step back and say, well, maybe the price for this is to let rates go up even more, and that'll really put the damper on the refi market? Well, if you follow the arcane dot plot portion of the Fed's releases, where the different governors give their guesses on when the short-term rates will rise, you actually don't see that at present until 2023. And Powell has made a couple of statements very recently within the last two weeks saying that they're not anywhere near making a determination of allowing rates to rise anytime soon. There are two experiences both of which occurred while he was on the Board of Governors, one of them before he was the chair. That's the taper tantrum of 2013. And at that time, Chairman Bernanke said, eventually we're going to stop adding to our portfolio. Just that statement raised mortgage rates 100 basis points over the next six months, and home sales fell about 10% from the current rate in the next spring. Then in 2018, when the Fed did change policy and start running off their portfolio and tightening, you saw rates rise again about 100 basis points, and you saw the housing data fall off again at the beginning of 2019. So the question is how impactful those two episodes are on the board's thinking, and there certainly hasn't been anything in the rhetoric that suggests they're preparing to turn directions on monetary policy anytime soon, particularly since they've said they would like to see inflation run above their target moderately for some time period, and they're certainly not seeing that yet. One of the things you said on the data-driven real estate podcast, which again, we put a link in our show notes, folks, go listen to that. You said the three wheels of forecasting are this. If you give a number, don't give a date. If you give a date, don't give a number. If you get it right, don't look surprised. I love the humor there, but I'm seeing looking at unemployment, the numbers now and on your forecast. And the most recent report showed a decline in jobs. Doesn't this signal a double dip recession? Well, it certainly was a disappointing downturn, but as I pointed out, the decline in jobs was very much focused in those places where people consume by being in close proximity to large groups of other people. So very isolated, very much to the service, leisure, and hospitality sector. The other categories of employment, with the exception of education, where People are doing the remote learning, so that's led to some reduction in employment and education. And then in state and local workers, 
all the other categories that they reported actually increased in employment. And so our thought Hmm. is while that downturn will show weak first quarter growth, it doesn't foreshadow a double-dip recession unless when the vaccines are out there, one of these new variants of the virus overrides the benefits of those vaccines and we see a pullback by consumers on that front. That would be a risk, but we don't see that as the base. Yeah, you're not seeing that scenario play out. One of the things you raised in the, again, I just listened to the podcast again this morning, so I'm referring it back. One of the things you said is if ever, if there was a vaccine, it came out today that just absolutely guarantee you, you take this vaccine tomorrow, you can start going out to restaurants, you can resume all your normal activity. But one of the things you noted was still 40% of Americans, at least this is back when you were talking in October, not sure whether there's been an update on the statistics, are still saying they're concerned or for whatever reason, hesitant about or not planning to take the vaccine. That attitude has got to be playing into this a bit. Absolutely. The turnaround really depends on two things. The second one is herd immunity, whether or not there are benefits from uh, broad segments of the population having been impacted by the virus, even if they don't take the vaccine, if that immunity and the antibodies have some resilience, that could combine with the share that do get vaccinated and get us over the hump. It remains to be seen. There are still lots of things that are not known about the virus in its original incarnation, and now we have a couple of examples of mutations of that virus, which may enter the picture as well. Yeah. Jay, jump in here, please. With I'm looking over the economic report. Also, the listeners, for those of you that want to have me put questions to Doug, please text me at 512-632-2900. 512-632-2900. We'll do our best to get your questions on here. We already have some coming in. Go ahead, Jay. Well, I think one of the issues uh, going forward for mortgage lenders will be the regulatory environment that we'll see under the Biden administration. And I think there are going to be two central prongs. One is that it's apparent that they're going to try to achieve certain social policies through housing, whether that's additional rules on what is required in suburbs, what perhaps is required for larger developers, but also a microscopic view, looking at the new humded fields that will be available, what it's going to do in terms of really focusing in on lenders and just increasing lawsuits. I remember sitting with Justice Department in 2009, I guess it was, for the Obama people and questioning on how they were going to be looking at servicing outcomes, how they're going to be treating differences in forbearance. And they simply told me, look, we're going to do whatever we need to do to support President Obama's housing policy. Whether or not we see a similar approach out of this administration, how then is that going to affect mortgage lenders going forward? Well, I think no doubt we're moving from a less regulatory focused environment to a more regulatory focused environment. And there's an old saying that if you laid all the economists in the world end to end, they wouldn't reach a conclusion. I think one of the conclusions that you can get just about all the economists to agree to is that regulation increases costs. So if you, and I think it was Ronald Reagan that said, if you want less of something, make it cost more. And so I think that is something that will get factored into the mortgage arena over time, if indeed they do increase regulatory oversight. I think your point on social policy, I think they were pretty clear in the campaign 
that one of the things they will focus on is the difference in homeownership rates across different racial groups. So we would expect that there would be some focus on those things in the Humda data that you referenced. And lenders would want to have a very good handle how their business practices result in the outcomes that are available for public scrutiny in their Humda registers. What about the stimulus package? How much of an impact is this going to have, if there is one? One of the things to note is our macro forecast, which is for over 5% growth, the stronger mm-hmm. part of that in the second half of 2021, and then still better than 3.5% growth in 2022, is without this $1.9 trillion proposed stimulus. And it's notable that the savings rate is 50% above the long-term average today. And with all the housing equity wealth and the stock market wealth that's been generated, consumers have got a lot of firepower. They just need to be confident that they're not going to get the disease when they go out there. Now, if you add that $1.9 trillion, it really depends on the structure of it. To the extent that it is a temporary program, you should expect a temporary response from the economy. So give you a couple of examples of that. Well, the Bush administration did a temporary payment to people. There was no noticeable adjustment to GDP as a result of that. The Obama administration did the same thing. In the 2007 to 2009 time period, there was a temporary tax cut for first-time home buyers. You saw a spike when it was put in place, and then when it expired, you saw a drop right back to the same trend line. So temporary programs tend to generate temporary results. Parts which change of that stimulus program, which I haven't seen all of them, But if there are parts which change things structurally and permanently, those would be more likely to generate some sort of a more permanent response. That's how we're going through the scenario analysis on the stimulus package. One of the risks is that with all the firepower that consumers already have, if demand grows faster than supply, you can get price inflation. And we do have in our forecast scenario some growth in inflationary expectations in the second half of 2022, which is when we have mortgage rates passing the 3% mark. The third quarter, you have a GDP at 7.5 and a fourth quarter at 6.1, if I'm reading your uh, information here. So that's interesting. I wanted to look at, to take a quick look at the manufacturing sector. How's the auto sector recovering? So Boeing and the likes of the aircraft. The auto sector is actually doing quite well. The response to the virus in the auto sector was to stop manufacturing. So they didn't generate an excess supply that had to be worked off through discounts. And it rebounded pretty quickly because with interest rates essentially at zero to buy a car, the incentives were strong for people to replace aging vehicles. The other thing that has happened is the number of passenger miles driven fell substantially, so people weren't wearing their vehicles out as fast, so the total level of production hasn't gotten back to where it was, but part of that's because the economics didn't mandate that. You also saw the insurance companies respond to the lower miles driven and the lower accidents as a result with rebates to consumers on their auto insurance. Boeing is a different and very interesting story. Boeing is one company in the United States that has the power in the manufacturing sector by itself to change the federal statistics. It's very impressive. If you look at aircraft production, when the MAX 737 MAX 
scandal hit, big drop off in that taking manufacturing numbers down, and then the virus put another leg down on that. It will be some time, I think, before people are comfortable going back to airplanes where all the middle seats are filled. So that's going to be a kind of a long climb back. It could be 2023, 24, maybe even beyond that before we see the full ramp up of the contributions of the aircraft manufacturing to U.S. GDP. Very interesting. Jay, I'm reading over some of the text messages that are coming in. I want to shift the discussion over to housing. So, Jay, if you'd lead that off. A question on housing is uh, some of the regional recovery. I'm speaking here from South Texas. Things have been generally booming here, but you look at other areas of the country and still somewhat in decline because of their problems perhaps long-term systemic issues. Doug, to what extent do you see kind of this big regional difference in whether it's demographic trends or economic recovery across the country? Well, I was talking to someone recently that was pointing out some moving company data, a U-Haul, and they were comparing the price to rent a U-Haul truck from San Jose to Dallas to the price of renting a U-Haul truck from Dallas to San Jose, and it was about twice to get from San Jose to Dallas. That's a message about economics. It says that the place where affordable living and income growth is strongest and economic growth in general is strongest is going to be in those places which have more business-friendly environments and housing is going to follow because housing follows jobs. So from a regional perspective, You have five states in the United States that don't have any state income tax, and they're all doing pretty well. Arguably, Las Vegas less well than the other four, Nevada being one of those states. The state of Washington doing well, the state of Tennessee doing well, the state of Texas doing well, the state of Florida doing well. So from my perspective, it's going to be the general economy, the employment in that general economy, the people that are going there for that employment, and then they're going to have to have a place to live, and that's how housing benefits. Now, there are pockets of things in other areas where you may see uh, strength, but in general, those terms apply. We do think 2021 will be a stronger year in terms of total sales, both new and existing than 2020, but not as strong as it could be were supply greater. And there again is where the vaccine comes in. If current homeowners become very confident that now it's all handled because the vaccines are successful, then you could see the supply of existing homes come up from that historic low where it is today. Good. So, yeah, I encourage everyone to download both the housing forecast and the economic forecast from Fannie Mae's website. We'll put links to that in our show notes. Some questions that came in. This is the one that actually came in from Les Parker. And he says, have we ever had a precedent where we've had a former head of the Fed become the head of the Treasury? What are the potential impacts? Does this have any impact on the dollar or mortgage rates, do you think? The first thing I have to say, given that the question came from Les Parker, is I (laughs) think you should put on a video of him doing his thing to James Brown. That was impressive. (laughs) I don't know of a precedent. I'm not as well-schooled in history, perhaps, as I should be. I don't know a precedent where the chairman of the Federal Reserve became Treasury Secretary. Of course, the Federal Reserve was founded in 1913, so it's just over 100 years. I don't recall that. It's going to be interesting for housing because Cherry Yellen, when she was chair of the Fed, focused on a couple of things related to housing. One was income distribution, and the other one was the racial and ethnic distribution of homeownership. 
So to the extent that those were on her mind as Fed chair, I would say in her role at Treasury, you would see her supporting initiatives of the administration that would be targeted toward those things. Jay, you have any last questions you want to put to Doug as we wrap this up? Doug, uh, when you wake up in the morning and you look at everything going on in the economy and having to predict what's going on, do you ever ask yourself, what did I ever do to deserve this? (laughs) (laughs) absolutely the company just put me in charge of corporate strategy so i missed the boat i didn't retire on time like you jay (laughs) so yeah it's an environment where if you're forecasting in the past you depended upon past variables which were economic in nature and how they interacted to give some idea of things looking forward. Today, the virus is a health issue and it's fear that drives behavior and it makes it very difficult to draw reasonable conclusions and make useful inferences for people in the business sector to help them make decisions. So it's challenging. I miss having you to bounce ideas off and tell me where I've gone off the rails, but I'm happy for you having your retirement. What do you know the name of his boat, Doug? What do you put I do in not. The Jay, you got to share that. It's hilarious. The name of my boat is Where You At? It's an homage to my New Orleans upbringing. A very where common expression there. <laughs> yeah. Where you at? Anyway, we oh. know where we're at because we just had Doug Duncan as our guest. Doug, thank you so much for taking time to be here with us. It's just a delight. It's been great having you here, folks. Now, Doug Duncan, Senior Vice President, Chief Economist for Fannie Mae, has been responsible for the economic forecast, both housing as well as mortgage rates. Be sure to go to the Fannie Mae's website, download all the information that they have there. Fast number resources. Jay, thank you so much for joining me on such short notice. I really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Next week, we've got Scott Harris going to be here with Social Survey. Got an interesting thing that they're working on. You got to hear about this announcement. Scott will be talking about that for the Hot Topic segment next week. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, CMLA, as well as Indicom, as well as Incelerate, Mobility, RE, Modex, and all the other sponsors. Check them out on our website. Folks, have a great week. Look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.